Welcome to California Now, a podcast produced by Visit California. I'm Satirius Johnson. This episode, we'll talk with Jackie Gifford, the editor-in-chief of Travel and Leisure. She's often on the road with her four-year-old son, and she'll share a few tips for traveling with kids, including taking them to museums. You have to go and not be so afraid that they're going to break stuff, and you just have to take them and teach them that, okay, this is an art museum. We respect the art on the walls, and you don't touch everything. And we'll discuss a road trip up California's north coast with travel blogger Jessica Wright. You're seeing these crab pots coming off the boats as they pull into the harbor, and it's like, okay, you know your food is really fresh there. And, you know, it's a really special part of this coast that we have in Northern California. Plus, we'll check out the artsy, one-of-a-kind Southern California mountain town of Idlewild. It's all coming up on California Now. My next guest is a leading authority in the travel industry. Jackie Gifford is editor-in-chief of Travel and Leisure, a magazine that boasts millions of readers and also has a huge following on social media. In addition to her editorial responsibilities, Jackie oversees the vacation plans of one traveler in particular, her young son, Bobby. And today we're going to talk about the unique challenges associated with family travel. Welcome to California Now, Jackie. Hi, how are you? I'm all right, thanks. So, you know, I follow you on Instagram, and I've seen posts of you out with your son. Um, how? Yeah, how, how often do you travel with him? Does he, does he like to hit the road? He loves to travel. I actually just got back from another trip, and he looked at me and said he, he recognized the, the cookies that I stole from the Delta, from the, the, you know, the little Biscoffs. I'm obsessed with those. And he goes, Mom, <laughs> you were just in a plane. You only eat those cookies when, you, when you've been on a plane. Um, I'd probably travel with him. Once every three to four months, and it could be a train trip to to see my folks, or it could be a road trip. But then, oftentimes, we're flying and going some someplace fantastic. That's great, and that's fairly regular. Um, I mean, you know, when you're planning a family trip, it really can be a challenge. Yeah. For parents, so oh my God. what what kinds of, of yeah right? So what kinds of strategies have you developed for traveling with a young person? You know, the fun thing about, so my son is four and it, it really, the th- interesting thing about family travel is how quickly when the kids grow up, things shift, right? So my needs as a mom with him now were so different than when he was six months old. And it was really, that was actually in some ways easier because you can really, they're sort of portable, right? You can bring them into to restaurants. I remember specifically having dinner with Bobby and my husband, Rob, at the Hotel Bel Air. And we just rolled his stroller into the hotel and thought nothing of it. And he fell asleep. Now <laughs> that it's not really going to work out for us. But I think the tips are this, right? When they, the kids start to get older, and they're, they're understanding that they're going to go on a trip and go someplace fun, you kind of really need to make them a part of the whole experience. So I talked to him about what he wants to pack. And I explained that he needs to roll his suitcase in the airport. Obviously, he doesn't do it all the time and we help him out. But I really try to make him feel like he's a part of the process. And my husband and I always ask him what he would like to do for dinner. Sometimes, you know, he's, he's up for pizza and we know that he wants pizza and that's fine. <laughs> We're going to get pizza. Do we want to have a romantic meal for two? Maybe, but we don't actually end up doing that. So uh-huh. <laughs> it's just, I think when you involve kids and really you have to approach it from a place of warmth and love and don't be afraid to travel with your children at all. I think at this point these days, kids are getting, you know, this is the, the seeing the world is, is a, is a unique form of education. Well, I mean, I, it it sounds like it's really like a, a balancing act, right? Because you want to enjoy it's maybe all a some, balancing uh, act. Some, yeah, <laughs> right. So you want to do your adult things, and then you but you also want to do some kid friendly things. So how do you 
how do you really manage that? Like, say, you know, you want to go to an art museum or, or do you just not go to an art museum? Or, or you know, like you, you said, you, you know, fancy restaurants. I mean, when the kid is in a stroller, it's easy. But as they get a little older, maybe it's not so easy. So how do you balance that? Yeah. So I think the thing that my husband and I like to do is we build in a amount of free time and flexibility. We'll pick one, say, like in the morning, we'll do one activity and we'll decide whether that is an art museum. And we brought him to, to places like that. Again, you have to go and like not be so afraid that they're going to break stuff <laughs> and you just have to take them and teach them that, okay, this is an art museum. We respect the art on the walls and you don't touch everything. And so you go and you show them and you don't stay for three hours as right. you would if you were on your own. You probably stay for a half hour and 45 minutes. But you know, one of the things I've come to understand having now traveled with my son quite a bit is that he does actually remember stuff. And it's really powerful when he'll reference trips that we took a year ago. And a lot of people say, oh, my gosh, the kids won't remember it. Why Why should we even bother? But that's really not true. And I've seen that firsthand. So we, so we plan one activity and then we build in some free time in the afternoon and we don't stress about it. If it's actually like everybody wants to just take a nap in the hotel room, that's fine. We try to, you know, eat earlier meals with him for dinner. And then we're actually, my husband and I are really good about getting babysitters when they're on the road because it's important for us to have a dinner out. And my son's gotten quite used to it. And I always just trust the hotel because where we're staying, they 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 work with babysitters all the time. And there's nothing wrong with hiring a babysitter when you're on a trip and you need to have a dinner with your partner. So so that's kind of our approach. And I think the best thing to do is also just laugh if things go wrong and try not to really take yourself too seriously. That's a really great tip. I didn't realize that hotels will provide babysitters for you. That's all the time. An amazing time. amenity. <laughs> Trust me. I mean, you know, most of the hotels that we work with, if you just call in advance and say, "Hey, I need a a, a sitter," really, they're 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 good about it, and they'll send you their credentials. They're all verified. They work with the hotel. And so there has to be a certain level of trust that you have as a parent to do that in a foreign place. But I, again, i've I've done it many times and never had an issue. Do you set aside time in your travels to make sure that he can run around, kind of burn off some energy, maybe visit a playground, things like that? Totally. Totally. You have to. I mean, boys are so high energy and my son in, in particular really is. So we definitely like to go swimming. We always like to pick a hotel that has a great pool because he'll definitely want to spend time in the pool or by the beach. We want to do, you know, a little run in the park. And sometimes he actually just likes being in cars and on trains. So even just doing that and taking the journey is actually part of the fun for him. And he also likes to fall asleep in cars. So that gives me a little bit of a break. <laughs> I think it's so great to bring kids on trips because, as you said, I mean, they will remember things. And it's also kind of like just learning to, you know, be socialized. And this is how you act in a museum. And this is how you act in a restaurant. It's part of raising a child. Absolutely. You have to. And please and thank you. Table manners, all the things that I was raised with. It's just so important. It's a part of who I am. And I feel like I have to pass along those values to my son. So I, I know you're planning a, a Southern California trip with your family. What can you tell us about your plans, where you're going, You know what you plan to see and do? Yeah. So I remember taking a trip to Southern California with my parents when I was probably about seven or eight years old. And it was just one of the most fun things we ever did. You know, we went to LA and mm -hmm. we just 
we just had the best time. And then we we drove down to San Diego and we visited the zoo. And then we drove up and um, we went ended up taking a ride up the the Pacific Coast Highway. We ended up stopping at at Hearst Castle. And I loved that tour so much that you know I think at that point in time they had like four options of tours you could take. And I loved it so much. We when the first tour ended, I made my parents go back and like do and take me on the the second tour option. And then we stayed one <laughs> night at the Madonna Inn and we were in the caveman uh-huh. room. And it was so cool. <laughs> and it was just this amazingly Californian getaway. It was sun and sand and sea. And so I'm, I've been thinking a lot about that trip and how it really informed me. And I want to do the same thing with my son. Obviously, there'll be a little bit of a variation, but I'm hoping to to kind of recreate a, a little bit of that magic and fly in, spend some time in, in Los Angeles and get ourselves acclimated and then head down to San Diego and do the zoo because I think it's, it is really important. He's at that age right now where animals and learning about animals is just so fascinating to him, endlessly fascinating to him. And, you know, maybe check out some of the beaches. There's the sea lions at Lohea Cove. They're really amazing to watch. You can also go to Belmont Park. There's just, so that's kind of going to be the first part of the trip. And then of course, you know, we've got Legoland and my son is really into Legos. I know that because I step on them every day. So <laughs> as, as the Legos get, they sort of manage to, to find their way into all the corners of our living room. So I'll definitely want to do that with him as well. And then, and then really just continue on up and, and, and do some fun stuff, maybe head up to Santa Barbara. My husband and I are really into wine. So we might want to do some of the, you know, the visit some of the downtown wineries and tasting rooms and then and then check out perhaps the new Rosewood and Miramar Beach. We just did a whole story on on Santa Barbara in our recent issue. And so that's really been on my list for some time. Wow. It sounds like an amazing trip. I mean, are you going to work in the Madonna Inn as well? Maybe Hearst Castle or maybe wait till he's a little older? I kind of think the Madonna Inn is is perfect for him. I think this will be really fun. And, you know, it is it it is a real time capsule of a hotel. And I think it's one of California's most iconic properties, period. And it's it's whimsical. It has a cool history. And I think at this age, he would think it's just the bee's knees to stay in one of the theme <laughs> rooms. And I think the caveman room actually still exists. So we might as well just stay there. I think it's I've got to just continue on the tradition. Do you think because you're coming to Southern California that uh, he might be anticipating going to Disneyland or is that not really in his mind at this point? I think he I think he would be. So it's so this is the challenge, right, with young kids. It's like, what's the right age to go? And I think he is nearly there. And I think we might we might do it. I'm I'm a big Disneyland fan. And I that's what we actually went to Disneyland on that that trip with my parents and I years ago. That was my my first time there. And I, you know, there's something magical about it. Everybody just adores it. And I do think he's he's nearly there. You know, the 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 funny thing about Disney is that and I've I've been many times, it's like at some point everybody has a meltdown, right? Because they're tired. <laughs> they're just like the rise, it's sensory overload. Right. So it's like do I want to put myself in this in this position right now? I don't know. Maybe. And I think it actually could. I think, you know what, you're right. I think he is at the age when he could enjoy yeah. it. And my husband and I will have a good time. So there's that too. Yeah. And you've got Legoland on your uh, list. Yeah. So that will be absolutely perfect for him. Oh, God. Are you kidding me? It's, I'm serious. I step on a Lego. I probably have one like stuck in my <laughs> shoe right now. I step on Legos every day. <laughs> He's obsessed with them. And they're actually really an instructional, amazing toy when you really think about it. And 
you know, one of the things that when you're a parent, I find so fascinating is that just to watch children's imaginations. And my son will sit with me and play Legos and he builds these whole cool imaginary worlds for himself. And it's fun. So I think he will he will absolutely adore going. Uh, do you have to have a food strategy when traveling with kids? I know you mentioned like you try to involve him carbs. in carbs. doing that. <laughs> That's carbs, the food strategy. Carbs all the way. Okay. <laughs> carbs. And I think too, I think the important thing is that, you know, we were, a, we always bring him to meals and we put food in front of him to like anything, whatever we're eating, we just sort of put it there and encourage him to try it. And then sometimes he'll say he won't like it and we might order something else, but I don't want to restrict him to, to anything. And, you know, some people it's different. A lot of kids these days have allergies or restrictions. And so food becomes a challenge and it's hard to navigate that for people, um, you know, on the road, but most hotels and destinations I think are getting smarter about offering, you know, whether it's nut free or gluten free, all sorts of dining and different options for people. Is there going to be a road trip component to your trip? Yes. Yes. My husband will have to drive. Sorry, because <laughs> I don't drive. <laughs> uh, so how, do, how yeah. does that work with having a kid in the car with you? It's a little different? It is. I oftentimes will sit in the back just to keep him occupied, but he's getting older now, so I don't know if I'll have to do that. That's the fun little secret about me as a the editor in chief of Travel and Leisure, and I probably I'm, it's a big reveal that I'm telling everybody now. I actually Uh-oh. don't drive because oh, wow. I grew up in I grew up um, abroad, and, and now I live in New York City, and I've been here for almost twenty years, and I just don't drive, and so I get like, <laughs> petrified to get behind the wheel of a car. It's really it's nerve wracking for me. So well, it's I'm better that you don't drive. then. I just, yeah, absolutely. I t- I don't. I literally don't want to drive. So. Rob's going to have to drive. Okay. Well, that's good. You get to you get to look out the window and enjoy all the scenery. Of course. See, that's the best part, right? I mean, <laughs> uh-huh. come on. <laughs> so, you know, there there are so many things to do uh, in California. Like we mentioned, there's Disneyland. There's, I mean, Legoland. There's the San Diego Zoo. I mean, how, if you have, say, limited time, maybe you only have a few days or you have a week, how do you decide which kid-focused attractions to visit? I think it really has to come down to the age group. If you're just talking generally about how one would decide, and it's not even specific to me, I think you have to really focus on the age of the child and what their needs are and what they're interested in. So my again, my son's interested in Legos. That's why I think it would be perfect. And you're right. Disney, Disney is part of our lives, and we love that it's part of our lives. So maybe this is the right time. I think you also have to, again, build in flexibility into any itinerary. And make sure that you can pivot if they're not having a good time with something, that you've got other tricks up your sleeve. And also talk to them about it. And if you know, for example, in school that they're just starting to learn all about animals in Africa, then maybe this is the perfect time to go to the San Diego Zoo because you'll actually be able to show them in person the things that they're learning about in school. I think that's the the key. It's understanding what, you know, and, and kids like things change so fast these days. What they're into on Tuesday might not be what they're into on Friday. But for the most part, think about what they're learning in school. Think about the kind of cultural things that are happening, you know, whether it's a new movie that's come out and there's a way that, you know, you can kind of work that into the trip. And and also just keep in mind that, again, with little ones, they tend to get tired pretty quickly. So mm. you want to make sure that you're not you're not spreading yourselves too thin. All right. This is all really great stuff, Jackie. And I'm sure parents listening are taking a ton of notes. But before we wrap up, do you have any additional pearls of wisdom for people planning a family vacation? Maybe, maybe you know, how do you pack for a family vacation? 
That is a really good question. So the one thing that I say, and I put this actually in the magazine recently, when I am on a plane, I I always have a carry-on bag with me, but I make sure that I actually have a spare outfit for both my son and myself handy at all times. Mm. And here's why. Kids spill stuff. They spill <laughs> stuff all the time. Right. And not they only on water. themselves. No. <laughs> they don't. And so the other day I was I was on the on a plane with 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 Bobby and I had, you know, a Diet Coke in front of me and he like knocked the, you know, the tray up and of course the Diet Coke went everywhere and <laughs> I had to change my shirt. And it's just inevitable and that's it's like literally it happens every time. So I have wipes and I have a change of clothes for all of us in in our carry-on <laughs> bags and that has saved me many many a time. Oh, that is so great. Thank you so much, Jackie, for joining us on California Now. Thank you. Jackie Gifford is the editor-in-chief of Travel and Leisure, and you will find a treasure trove of great content at travelandleisure.com. As always, we'll provide links to all the places we discussed today on our website, visitcalifornia.com slash podcast. This is California Now. My next guest is a familiar voice to California Now podcast listeners. Anne-Marie Brown is an author and journalist and a true expert on the Golden State's numerous outdoor offerings. She and I have discussed a wide variety of topics on this show, including tips on visiting California waterfalls and a guide to the best campgrounds in the state. Well, today we're going to talk about a hidden gem of a town located in the Inland Empire, Idlewild. Welcome back to the podcast, Anne-Marie. Thank you, Soterius. So Idlewild, you know, in New York City, that's what they used to call the big airport out in Queens before it was named after JFK. <laughs> but we're, we're not here to talk about that Idlewild. Let's talk about the one in California. Where exactly is it and how do you get there? Okay. Well, the California Idlewild is about 100 miles east of Los Angeles. If you're driving Interstate 10, uh, you head out past Ontario Airport and, and Redlands to Banning, and then you take mountain roads out of the valleys and climb up in, in, on these mountain roads to Idlewild. So it's it's a really interesting spot. It's on the backside of Mount San Jacinto. So it's high. It's a, They call it the mile-high city. It's an alpine city just above the desert and above the pretty hot Inland Empire. So it's, a, it's almost like a little island of mountains amidst uh, a lot of low valley desert areas. And, and does it have a, a storied past? Yeah, like like so many places in California, it does have a storied past. Um, <laughs> and logging played a huge role in it. So when they were building the Southern Pacific Railroad out in Southern California, they were trying to push through San Gorgonio Pass, and they needed timber. Um, and here they are in this very dry, hot area, and they look up in the hills, and the hills are covered with gorgeous pine and fir trees on the mountain slopes. So... Logging was big industry there and throughout the 1870s, 1880s, and they, as a result, they built these highways driving up from the valley into the mountains, winding, snaking highways, but they built them. Most of that came to an end in not too long a time. In 1897, President Grover Cleveland, one of our presidents we really never think about very much, but President Grover Cleveland, <laughs> he established the San Jacinto Forest Reserve. So lo logging was no longer permitted up there. And the really smart loggers uh, who realized, you know, their jobs were gone, they opened up camping resorts. And by the 1890s, tourism was all the rage up in those mountains. People were going up there to camp and, and have a nature experience, just like we do now. So now, I, I know you love to hike and backpack. Is that part of what draws people to Idlewild? 
Yeah, for sure. I, I, there's plenty of outdoor activities to do in Idlewild. I, for one thing, it gets snow in the wintertime. So if, if you live in Los Angeles and you have a desire to go throw a snowball at your friends, uh, it's a great place to do that. There's a ton of hiking trails. It is on the backside of Mount San Jacinto State Park. So there's an awful lot of hiking to do there. Rock climbing is very popular there. And honestly, if you just like to sit at a bed and breakfast and, and look at pretty scenery, it's great for that too. Who else is likely to, to visit this part of the world and, and what are they there to do? do? Do snowbirds go there? Is it just people who love to be in the mountains? Yeah, you know, if you live in, out in any of the desert regions, or even if you're visiting the desert regions, Palm Springs, Palm Desert, anywhere in the Coachella Valley, of course, in the summertime, it gets quite hot. And with about an hour's drive, you can be up out of that in, in maybe 75, 80 degree temperatures and enjoying mountain scenery. Idlewild is in Riverside County. It's an unincorporated town in Riverside County. In fact, uh, I, I think maybe this is the best way to characterize Idlewild. The mayor is actually a dog. Um, it's a golden okay. retriever. <laughs> He's a golden retriever. His name's Max. Um, he has a website. It's mayormax.com. Um, and, and that kind of tells you a little bit about the spirit of the town. Um, not only is it just a very relaxed place to get out of the heat, to just enjoy mountain scenery, but it's also very, very artsy. Idlewild has an arts academy, a residential arts high school. It has a summer concert series. It's home to the Idlewild Master Chorale. So if you're an, an arts person, if you're, you're interested in seeing visual arts or in hearing music or sending your kid to dance school, Idlewild might be the place. That sounds great. Is there like a downtown area to Idlewild? There is, and and there are a lot of highlights in that little town. Town, it's not very big. Um, Idlewild's population is pretty small; it's about four thousand people. But there's several good restaurants. It's definitely set up for people to come visit. A lot of good places to eat. A winery, a wine tasting room. Um, that's also an art gallery, and there's some really fun and funky shops for vintage shopping. But most people are going to go there, and at the very least, they're going to take a walk. Maybe not a big, serious hike, but at least a small walk. There's a lot of easy trails that are accessed right from town. There's a park in town called Humber Park uh, where you can throw snowballs in the winter or go for a hike in the summertime. So why don't you uh, list for us maybe two or three things that a first-time visitor absolutely must see or do in Idlewild? Cafe Aroma is probably the longest running restaurant slash live music venue in town. And it's Italian fusion cuisine, but you don't go there just to eat. The food's delicious, but it's a gathering place. Um, people go there to hear music, to hear poetry readings, to see a comedy sketch. Uh, they even sometimes have art galleries, art shows on the walls. Uh, what else? Uh, there's a, if you're a vegan or a vegetarian, or if you're just curious about that, there's a wonderful place called the Plant Food Supper Club Cafe. Um, the menu's strictly vegan. Uh, they have vegan salads and interesting dishes like tofu scramble tacos and shepherd's pie that's vegan. And I, I think even if you're skeptical about, you know, would I like vegan food, you should at least try out their Sunday brunch. It's all you can eat. You can sample a bunch of different things. And, you know, you might come away going, hey, I like that vegan food. What about a non-food thing that somebody should <laughs> see or do? <laughs> 
Well, I, I think taking a hike should be number one on your list when you go to Idlewild for sure. And if you just want an easy stroll, maybe something you could take your dog companion with you or your children, the Ernie Maxwell Scenic Trail it leads right from town. It's an out and back of about four miles, not a lot of climbing. And it's just a, a great leg-stretching walk to get a look at the scenery. But Idlewild also has some very famous hikes, the ones that are on every L.A. hiker's bucket list. Uh, a lot of people want to do Tockett's Peak. Tockett's Peak is it's almost 9,000 feet in elevation. It's, I believe, 8,850. Um, and it towers over the San Jacinto Wilderness. It has an amazing view from its lookout tower, fire lookout tower on the top. Uh, that's a longer hike. That's about nine mm-hmm. miles. But you're you're hiking through beautiful pine forests the whole way. And at the top, you get an amazing panorama at the, at the top. Uh, you can see the Salton Sea and the desert, San Diego's mountain ranges. So that's a real special one. So uh, when would you say is the best time to go to Idlewild? Or is it a four-season destination? Can you go any time of the year and it's all great? Yeah, it really is a four-season destination. You know, there's so much you can do, whether it's indoors or out. Like, uh, for instance, a lot of people like to visit Middle Ridge Winery, which is, it's a wine tasting room, but it's also partly an art gallery, 4,000 square feet of places to sip wine and also local art and jewelry that's displayed around the room. Much of it's for sale. Again, live music on the weekends. You're always going to find music in Idlewild. So you could do that. You could go shopping any month of the year, right? And there are a lot of little galleries. There's wonderful, if you're a vintage person, there's wonderful vintage shopping at a place called the Funky Bazaar. It's an Alice in Wonderland kind of store. You never know <laughs> what you'll find. I love stores like that, right? Um, yeah. Old pocket watches, vintage science fiction magazines, cigar box guitars, you know, all kinds of crazy fun stuff to look at or purchase, you know, just just entertaining to do. And, you know, I think the biggest reason people come to Idlewild is kind of to turn off all the, the noise. It's a small town and they're proud of their small town. So it's the kind of place where, yeah, you might just kick back in a bed and breakfast and really not do a whole lot and still have a fantastic weekend. So what about places to stay? So you know, it's a small town, so I'm guessing there may not be a ton of big hotels there. There are not. I mean, you're not going to find big hotels and you're not going to find big box stores either, and, and that's part of its charm. Uh, what you will find are a lot of cabin resorts and a lot of Airbnbs and a lot of bed and breakfasts. And honestly, I, I could recommend hundred of them. There's so many, but they're all good. They're all good. And what I always look for is I look for the one that has a really nice mountain view and pretty much all of them have that. And then you have to ask yourself, well, do I want to stay in a cabin by myself or would I rather be in a bed and breakfast where I'm served a nice breakfast in the morning or, you know, what are, what kind of a of an overnight stay am I looking for? So, so if you're, if you're planning a trip that's going to be in LA, this is a really great little add-on to get out of the city and experience a little a different slice of California life. Absolutely. It's it's not what people think of when they think of Los Angeles or even Southern California for that matter. Most people think of palm trees and beaches and the big city and Hollywood. And here is this beautiful little mountain town um, that could just as easily be in, well, a lot of mountainous places. It could be in Montana or in Northern California. <laughs> or, um, and But there it is. And it's, it's really managed to retain its intimate quality, um, despite the fact that, you know, all the big cities around it, it's still its own little special place. And and it's absolutely worth a visit. 
All right. Excellent stuff, Anne-Marie. Thank you so much for telling us about this hidden gem. Please come back soon. We'd love to have you back on the podcast. Thank you so much, Sotirius. You can find information about Anne-Marie's many projects at her website, annemariebrown.com. And you can find her 14 books about California on Amazon and at other bookstores. For more details about any information about Idlewild and the specific places that we discussed today, go to our website, visitcalifornia.com slash podcast. This is California Now. My next guest is a travel blogger and Northern California resident who constantly wanders the planet but also takes time to explore her own backyard. Jessica Wright, who runs the Bond Traveler site, joined us on a previous episode to discuss her journeys in California's gold country. She returns now to tell us about a recent road trip she took up the wild north coast. Welcome back, Jessica. Hey, Soterius. It's great to be back on. Yeah, I'm kind of jealous of your most recent adventure. If I'm not mistaken, you ventured off to places like Mendocino, Fort Bragg, Eureka, and Trinidad. Um, That's a really scenic corner of the world, isn't it? It's pretty stinking special. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. The scenery there on the coast is something else. Now, was this trip mostly new to you or had you traveled up there before? So the furthest north I have been on the coast was actually only Fort Bragg. So after Fort Bragg, it was a completely new playground for adventure. And that was really exciting to get to go that far north in California. Now, I know when you hit the road, you usually do it solo. Did you go on your own this time or did you have a travel companion? I went on a girl's getaway with one of my close friends, Michelle, and we got to travel together on a trip, which was just a great trip to do together. And that was really fun. It was like a girl's getaway, as I would call it. (laughs) Well, it's always fun to have somebody else along for the ride. Um, So Jessica, what inspired you to take this trip? So I was inspired um, to take this road trip because I wanted to discover what more of Northern California had to offer. Now that I'm based here in Sacramento, you know, we're not far from these incredible destinations in the North Coast. And the Redwoods was a place I'd never been to. And so getting the opportunity to see both the Wild Coast and the Redwood National and State Parks was uh, something that I've been wanting to do for a long time. And there is this huge part of the state, kind of north of San Francisco and Sacramento, that a lot of people don't get to, but is just truly amazingly beautiful. Exactly. And what better way to experience it than a road trip? And, you know, getting to do that with a, a close friend of mine, you know, get to create special memories and spend mornings at the beach and then go have a great lunch and then hiking in the redwoods. And, you know, all that together is just it's something really you know special to Northern California. So what was your first stop? Our first stop was in Mendocino on Highway 1, and that part of California is a really rugged landscape as far as like these pastoral lands that hit the coast with really high cliffs. And then there's these little kind of inlets that you can pop into. And Mendocino is somewhere that I really love, mostly because you just feel really at peace there. There's something, I don't know, the the light fog in the morning that lifts by lunch. And then you have like blue skies, especially during the months of September and October. And there's just a real connection of nature there. And you're finding just opportunities to be outside. And and some of those for me look like going to Russian Gulch State Park, where you can go hike along the coast and see these just crystal clear turquoise waters that lap up against the beach. Or you can also take outrigger canoes with this company called Catch a Canoe up the Big River Estuary and get really close to wildlife like harbor seals and river otters and and birds. And then all of that, you can also still experience great dining, which for me is a, a big plus in Northern California. Oh, yeah. So so tell us a little bit about the places you stayed. Uh, where did you eat? Uh, you know, give us a flavor of your stay. 
So we checked into the Glendevin Inn for a night, which is a historic farm that's been renovated into this kind of upscale inn that does some really special things like serving a breakfast in room. So when you wake up in the morning around 9 a.m., they drop off this basket with with eggs that are actually used from the free ranging chickens that are right on property. And, you know, they make fresh scones and a pitcher of coffee. And that for me is like quintessential Northern California inexperience. And it's stunning. You have the ocean in the background. It's pretty special. That sounds really amazing. Yeah. I mean, waking up with a basket of, you know, for breakfast, right? (laughs) Right at your doorstep is pretty cool. That was a really standout experience. And then in town of Mendocino, two restaurants that I really love is Flow, and that's upstairs, and you have great ocean views from there. They make some killer fish tacos. And then Cafe Beaujolais, which is a higher-end experience. French cuisine, they have like a great uh, seafood linguine dish, and then I had a wonderful steak tartare that night. Oh, that sounds really great. Uh, did you have any time to, to explore the area or, you know, engage in, in any outdoor activities? Yeah, so one of the things that we did was up in Fort Bragg, and um, the iconic skunk train created these incredible two-person rail bikes that actually glide along the train tracks with a motorized assist, and it's a guided tour that brings you through the redwoods while getting some history of that that train track. So you can kind of follow this old rail along, you're kind of um, pedaling and you're assisted, and what are you going through as you're following through on this rail? You're passing through um, some waterlands that have a bunch of uh, birds that fly through, and then you're going underneath the redwoods, which is a pretty special experience. As you look up, you have these, you have the fresh smell of the pine and the redwoods towering over you, and then you have a guide who's just sharing insight to the train and why it was there and the skunks train involvement with Fort Bragg. So when you're in Fort Bragg and you've done your your kind of your out, your outdoor activities. What else is there to do there? What are you um, going to experience when you're there? So you can head over to Sea Glass Beach. That's an iconic beach in this area of Mendocino County. And you can find um, it's a small stretch of sand that has all these washed up pieces of glass. And it's just really pretty. And I've never seen anything like it before as far as uh, my explorations of the coast in California. And then one other standout area is Noyo Harbor, which is where a lot of our seafood actually comes from. And there's one great little restaurant that I love called Princess Seafood. And this woman-only crew runs the FV Princess, which goes out on the ocean to search for the best seafood. And they have an incredible Dungeness crab sandwich, which for me is an absolute must when when you're in that area. Oh, yeah. You know, I always love when you're going someplace to experience the, the sustainable local harvest. So the fact that you're going to be in an area where that supplies so much of the seafood uh, to California, to actually be there to get the fresh fish, that's just, you know, an amazing highlight of a trip for me. Absolutely. And so you're seeing these crab pots coming off the boats as they pull into the harbor. And it's like, okay, you know, your food is really fresh there. And, you know, it's a really special part of this coast that we have in Northern California. Yeah. You know, and, you know, everybody knows that Highway 1 in and around Big Sur is incredibly beautiful, but I would argue it's probably just as lovely in northern Sonoma County and Mendocino County. Did you did you actually enjoy the drive itself? Yeah. And I, I think what I love about the drive on that part is that the road's a little bit wider. And so you get to have a little bit more views of the entire area. You have some, you know, landscape to your right. And then to the left, you obviously have the Pacific Ocean the entire time. And there's these kind of like inlets that pull in off of the cliffs that have just the most incredible watercolor. It's like this turquoise blue. It's like a sherbet ice cream is how I would describe it. 
<laughs> that sounds really lovely. Uh, where to next? Uh, this is deep in Redwood country, right? Exactly. And so as you take the Highway 1 up, you're actually going to eventually catch the Highway 101 north. And as you make your way up there, there's one 31-mile-long road that you have to drive, and it's called the Avenue of the Giants. And it runs through these 2,000-year-old redwood trees that are seriously tall. They're some of the tallest trees in the world, actually. And you can drive it, and so you get a good sense of, hey, this is what this area is all about. And that is in Humboldt County at this point. Wow. You know, I love wandering through a redwood grove. It's just so peaceful and calm. Are there spots along the way where you can just kind of uh, stop off and maybe hike in a little bit? Yeah, and the Avenue of the Giants, one of the more popular groves to check out is called Founders Grove. And it's there's great signage along as you go through. And you can pull off, park your car, and go for a really just serene walk. And you know most of the trails are flat, so it's really family-friendly. Did you get any good uh, photographs of these massive trees? I did, yeah. That was, it's actually, it's, it's quite challenging to capture them because they're so tall. So you find yourself kind of sitting on the, the pavement, pointing your camera straight up, and <laughs> you still can't see the tops of these redwoods. I think it's always good to have like a point of reference too. Like if you can get like uh, your travel companion to be next to the trunk, just to get a sense of the the scale of it. It's almost hard to comprehend. Yes, yeah. And I took a I took one photo where I look very very much like an ant compared <laughs> to the redwoods. That's really cool. So so where did you go next? After that, we stopped into the um, town of Eureka, and. What was a standout experience for me there was a Lost Coast Brewery, which I've been drinking their beers here locally in Sacramento, you know, and in San Francisco the last few years. So getting to visit the brewery, which is just right off the freeway, is a great pit stop for lunch or dinner, and you get to try some of the local brews. That's always a nice a nice uh, part of the trip, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, a nice refill. So where did you go next? After that, we made our way to Trinidad, which was our home base for two nights. And Trinidad blew me away because of its location and its access to everything that is coastal and redwoods. Yeah, I've heard a lot of great things about Trinidad. I mean, uh, what are some of the foodie highlights of that town? So two foodie highlights that for me were standout experiences was um, having sunset and happy hour bites and drinks at the Moonstone Grill, which sits over Moonstone Beach. We popped in there, we sat at the bar, had a glass of wine and just soaked in the views. It was, you know, a local had recommended it to us and they said, yeah, you definitely want to go for happy hour. That's a special spot to go for. And so that was one night. And then the next night we went to this place called the Larapin Cafe, which was just tucked up off of the freeway um, about five minutes outside of Trinidad. And they have a mesquite grill and a patio and they had live jazz band that was playing. And they use a bunch of locally sourced ingredients, which for me, again, is a, a special part of this, you know, this part of California. And both of those, you know, one thing you definitely have to try when you're up there is the the local oysters from Humble if you like seafood. Oh, wow. That sounds really great. And, and there is a bay right there at, uh, in Trinidad, right? Exactly. Yeah. Right there off the base of the town. And you can go kayaking as well, I hear. Yep. One morning we spent um, with Kayak Trinidad. We took out their kayaks and we spent the entire morning just cruising around the bay, keeping our eyes out for bypassing whales, porpoises pop in and out, and you get to really see the um, what all the ocean has to offer there. And it, it's pretty calm in there, so it's a great experience. So did you actually see any marine life? We did, yeah. We had one porpoise who popped up, and um, we got to see a lot of sea stars on the rocks and 
tons of pelicans, you know, diving straight into the ocean, which was really cool to get to see them fishing for food. That sounds great. So, so you know, we're, we're almost running out of state pretty soon. What was that? Was that the end of your road trip or did you keep heading north? So that was where we, we stayed as a home base. But one day we went even further north up into the Redwoods National and State Parks and spent a lot of time in the Prairie Creek State Park. And this is an area that's been on my wish list for a really long time, and most notably for Fern Canyon. Fern Canyon is this, it's actually where Jurassic Park 2 had a few scenes filmed, and it's this incredible canyon that's been cut through with a little creek that runs through it, and from floor to ceiling is just covered in ferns. It's absolutely mind-blowing. Wow. Well, you know, it sounds like a pretty fantastic trip, Jessica. Uh, do you have any words of advice for travelers who who might be following in your tire tracks on their own road trip up the coast? Yeah, I think my big advice would be to give yourself time. I think this area has a lot to discover. And I think when you have a little bit more time to just kind of go slowly and soak it in, you know, spend an afternoon at the beach, spend an afternoon hiking the trails like the Big Tree Loop in, you know, Prairie Creek State Park. Give yourself the time to truly soak in because it is a special place and it, it feels raw and it feels organic in the sense that you're in nature and yet you're tied to a wonderful community that's doing something special. That is really great advice. Like, don't rush it. Take your time. Yeah. And, and time just seems to slow down that in that part of California. You know, there's not a rush. You're just, you're soaking it in. You're sitting at, you know, on the coast and watching out for whales who are passing by. And, you know, you're going slow through the redwoods. There's There's no need to rush in that area. And that's, to me, something, if you're really looking for a destination to you know, reset and relax. For me, that part of California is the place to do it. Sounds like it. Thanks so much for sharing your journey with us on California Now. Absolutely. Thank you for having me today. Jessica Wright is a travel enthusiast and blogger who runs a great website, bondtraveler.com. She's also a fantastic follow on Instagram, at bondtraveler. For links to everything we discussed today, head on over to our website, visitcalifornia.com slash podcast. This is California Now. Thank you for listening to California Now. This podcast is produced by Visit California. I'm your host, Satirius Johnson. You can find our show on iTunes and Stitcher. Please subscribe, and you can learn more about California and plan your next visit at visitcalifornia.com slash podcast. Jackie Gifford offered up some great advice for traveling with kids. I really like her suggestions about striking a balance between the kid activities and the grown-up stuff. If you're interested in more information and inspiration about hitting the road with the young ones, check out the Adventures in Kidifornia video series on visitcalifornia.com. It'll give you an up-close look at some fun things to do in the San Diego area. Look for it at visitcalifornia.com dream365tv.